All right, we're grateful to have Tony uh, Koskovich uh, from Eden Valley Institute. We uh, have heard some really good things about the farm there. And uh, Tony, how long have you been there as the farm manager? A year. One year. So uh, he's going to share what the Lord is doing there. Let's have a word of prayer before we start. Loving Father in heaven, thank you for the inspiring um, presentations. Thank you for Tony and what he's doing at Eden Valley. As we listen to the report, we pray that uh, you'll further inspire us in the work that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to adjust this mic. Okay, it's good to be here, everybody. Can everyone hear me? Okay. Okay, so I come from Eden Valley Institute. Uh, it's located in Loveland, Colorado. Um, actually, before I begin, the, the picture here is kind of a view of the, the campus nestled between two hills and... It's so right in the valley. It's actually called Eden Valley before Eden Valley was there. Um, for some reason, it was, it was just known by Eden Valley as, uh, to the locals. Uh, it's on, let's see, let's read this. In 61, two couples from Boulder, Colorado, the Grossbills and the Borses, were inspired to start a self-supporting institution. They found a 600-acre property located 12 miles west of Loveland, already called Eden Valley. They eventually sold their nursing home and invested in a new property. Uh, first, a nursing home was built and operated until 89, and then it was converted into assisted living, uh, which operated until 2009. Uh, that building, the village, now serves as home of the medical missionary school. Uh, my wife, Ashley, who's with me, is the, one of the teachers, the outreach coordinator there, and also Bible worker in the community. Uh, the... the Okay, you guys, you're going to have to bear with me because I can't see my notes on here. So everything I had prepared, I'm just going to wing it. So um, in 1982, the Lifestyle Center first opened and has since been directing those that come for healing to Jesus, their Savior, since it is him, the author of our lives and of health. Plans are now in the works for new sewer infrastructure that will allow Eden Valley to build the new Lifestyle Center. Um, in addition, our medical ministry school called The Well is educating students uh, in the most important work to be done now until the Lord returns. Um, they receive a lot of instruction um, in the classroom and in the Lifestyle Center, and also they work on the farm as part of their training, and we're proud to have them. Um, part of the program with The Well is that you can come three months early, work on the farm, and you help pay the tuition, part of the tuition. So it's a neat program they're doing there. Uh, it's interesting um, working with the medical missionary students. Um, they're not always, uh, we had a, one gal, Marsha was her name. She came and worked with us. She wasn't, she wasn't, she's from the city, from uh, South Florida, uh, Miami area maybe, and I uh, wasn't too up on farm work, and it was hard work, and a little encouraging after a while. She started to enjoy it, and she actually um, was a valuable part of our farm until she started school. 
and then I think she was glad to be done. But um, uh, the students, when they're in school, they work in the afternoons. Some work on the farm. Some work in other areas in the in the, on the campus. Uh, so they all get a taste for uh, the true education. This picture, um, you can see some of the some of the people there. Um, I'll just point them up. I don't. I don't need to point them out. They're from, some of these are my staff, and some of them are also the, the students from the culinary school next door at Sunrise. It was our pleasure to have them on the farm. They would come for farm tours. They're cooking students. Um, Sunrise community is kind of a, a, a spiritualist community, um, sort of hippie-ish, yuppie uh, I'm not sure what the term is, but very nice people. They wanted to work with our farm. Great so we're weeding onions in the picture, uh, all having a good time, getting to know each other. It was a great outreach uh, that we got to do. Um, and and uh, from that relationship, uh, Chef Joel uh, patronizes our farm quite a bit. He'll come over and say, what do you got? Let me, let me see it. And then he's able to uh, be proud of where that produce comes from for the people that come to Sunrise. Some, some history at Eden Valley. Um, there's, been, there's been a lot of farmers who've come and gone there. It seems like Eden Valley has high turnover. Maybe is, that, is it that way at all institutions? I'm not sure. But uh, they all left their mark, and, um, and each, each of us builds on the, 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 the work that was done previous. I'm, I'm astonished that the Lord has given me that opportunity to work to sort of construct that foundation at Eden Valley. It's a blessing to be there. Um, in the past, we've had U-picks, vegetables, uh, quite a bit. We have a, a large berry patch. Um, um, and also, the public would come, and they would harvest their own vegetables and pay right there. So that was neat. There's been so many different models at Eden Valley. You used to have a CSA in Fort Collins and farmer's markets throughout the year. We've been at the farmer's market 19 years, uh, so we have a legacy there. Uh, there was even an egg school. I was talking to a gentleman today. I don't know if he's in here. He used to come to Eden Valley and, um, and have egg training. I wish we could have that these days. There's a desperate need for that. Um, we were giving a health presentation at a church in Denver, and a lady came up to me after finding out I work on the farm, she's like, I'm new to Adventism. I just, I came in on a prophecy series. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at all the things I'm reading. It's such a blessing. I know I need to move out in the country. What do I do? How do I get started? And I was thinking, whoa, Lord, we need a, I was thinking, we need, a, we need, we need outreach classes to the, to the public. Uh, not in the church and uh, to the public. And um, maybe in, maybe we can we can focus on that uh, next year. We're, we currently don't have that set up right now. Uh, the, the, because of all the hard work that's been done there, there's a tremendous respect in the community for Eden Valley. Um, people trust us. Uh, they're so happy when we come to the farmers market. Uh, Ashley went to the farmers market this year in Estes Park. Uh, just very grateful for all the uh, hard work we put in and um, 
They support us tremendously. Uh, Eden Valley Farm has lots of potential. There's so much infrastructure there, uh, so many resources. It just needs people, and people are, the sh are short there. Um, and, uh, and so that's the challenge we face. Ignacio Perez, he was the farm manager there at Eden Valley for a number of years. He worked there uh, prior to that, too. He's now with his family in the Dominican Republic, serving there. Uh, at a place called Country Life, a medical missionary school, way out in the sticks. I, I had the privilege of going there about a year ago, and it is jungle. And weeds, I, we thought we had weeds at Eden Valley. The grasses there are impenetrable. But he's, uh, he's doing a real good work there. Um, they got raised beds going. They're selling produce in town in Santo Domingo. And I owe a lot to Ignacio. He put his confidence in me and it is him, it's his convincing and the Lord's blessing that uh, I'm at Eden Valley now. So, some of you know Ignacio. Yeah, I'm at, um, he, he calls me about once every two weeks to see how much I've messed up the farm. <laughs> and, um, and check on his baby. He's very devoted to the farm and it's a blessing to work with him. He's still available for consulting even though he's even though he's very far away. So we have about 66 acres tillable. I think that's in the ballpark. It's made up of parcels around the campus. Uh, about five acres are in vegetables. Less than one is under, under greenhouse. I'm not sure the square footage, but it's around an acre under the greenhouse. Um, we're not certified organic, but um, since we have a strong customer base at our farmer's markets, uh, we've so far, we feel that we don't need that certification. Um, I'm open to it. It's, we haven't pursued it. Um, we grow organically. This year, we tried to use everything that, that the organic standards call for, and we didn't lack. Um, we wanted that integrity, that we could be proud of what we sell at the markets. Uh, especially, there's more and more people becoming conscious of produce. Also, we tried hay and a f hay alfalfa grass mix. Uh, we made a lot of hay bales this year. Uh, it's a, probably around 40 acres. It could be a little high. So most of our vegetables are grown in the open ground. Some use black plastic mulch. Uh, I know Matt uses uh, black fabric. We use the, just the black plastic. Uh, it's good for one or two years, mostly one year. Uh, we got a whole pallet of these rolls, and so we've been using them up a little by little. We don't honestly, we don't use much of it. I don't like the waste at the end of the year having the having the dumpster full of plastic. Um, and plus, if God didn't put it in His nature, well, maybe we don't need it so desperately after all. But um, we're starting to dabble with wood chip mulch. Um, we mulch our strawberries with old hay. I really like mulch in Colorado. It's so dry. Uh, the sun heats and and uh, and the winds blow, and I think mulch is a blessing for us there. Probably could be anywhere. We also grow in raised boxes. Um, these are these vary from two feet wide to four feet wide, made of uh, non-treated wood. Uh, very the, if it, if if Eden Valley had good soil. These, these have the best soil, very loose. You can grow beautiful long carrots, two feet long. Uh, 
if you had to. Nice long tap roots come out of the raised boxes. The greenhouses, those are greenhouse dimensions. Our biggest one's 30 by 200. Um, and one of them, our, our one greenhouse is under, it has the panels. Some of the vegetables that we're, we currently have for the winter greenhouse, we grow the micro reeds. A lot of this stuff in the winter is grown for the lifestyle center and for the uh, restaurant next door. Uh, we don't, because our markets are over, uh, we don't focus too much on that. Um, the micro greens, tatsoi, pak choy, these are the cold hardy greens, the radishes, they do well in the winter greenhouse. I'll show you some pictures in a bit here. The summer greenhouse, mostly for the warm weather crops, everything else will wilt. Tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, basil, they all enjoy the heat. Um, in the field, we grow just a lot of the standard vegetables. Um, we also grow some perennials, some raspberries, strawberries, asparagus. Uh, we also dabble with flowers this year. Ashley made up nice bouquets, brought to the market of the zinnias and the bachelor's buttons and so on. It was a nice compliment. Um, in our in our grow boxes, in the in the raised beds, rather, these are some of the crops we grow. We grow huge garlic this year out of that good soil. It was nice. So according to my knowledge, this has not been done at Eden Valley, growing in the greenhouse through the wintertime. It looks pretty white, but it's green underneath that plastic. Uh, this was a particularly cold day after a snowfall. Snow comes and then it gets really cold. This is probably 20 below. Went to go check on the greenhouse. We keep the heat about 32 to 35 degrees, just, just above the freezing point. And so it doesn't use much heat. Uh, also, we put low tunnels underneath that greenhouse. That's, that's UV resist, that's greenhouse plastic uh, with number nine wire hoops. Uh, there's row cover underneath there, so it was a double whammy. Put row cover, a floating row cover on the vegetables and then low hoops on top of it. It was, a, it was good for about 20 degrees difference on the nights. It was zero degrees outside. Uh, well, if it was zero degrees outside, it would have been 20 degrees inside, but then we'll heat it up just, a little, just enough uh, just to keep the frost off. But I think it, did, it went below freezing also without much damage. This was an experiment. Uh, we loved it. Problem is there is not that much staff uh, right now at Eden Valley. There's so much work to be done that this year we probably won't do this again. Um, you know, maintenance, all the things that do not happen during the summer, they need to happen in the winter. Uh, maintenance and um, servicing equipment. And uh, so with a lack of staff, you have to pick your priorities. Uh, last year, these were some of the greens we had in there. Uh, these particular Asian greens up front, they got a little too cold, leaves, start, leaves started to curl. Uh, but there's a, I didn't have much for pictures uh, with me, so, but you get the, the idea there. Drip tape's going right down the middle. The other side here, there's some Asian greens. Um, that's pak choy, purple pak choy. There's spinach on the right there. It was nice to grow in the wintertime. Our lifestyle guests would come in. They would weed a little bit. We call it greenhouse therapy. 
That was nice to have them, nice component of the farm. Everybody was thrilled to have greens through the winter. Uh, as far as finding markets for this in the wintertime, um, we definitely could. We could look. Honestly, we didn't have, uh, it, it, we didn't know what to expect growing through the winter. And so uh, we didn't market it that well, but there was not much uh, uh, loss either. We found homes for everything. This is in a different greenhouse. It's also, let's see, underneath here is like the tomatoes and the peppers. The, this was in March uh, that we got a jump start. We also tried putting the water barrels to the left, fill them with water. They're black. They absorb the heat in the daytime, give it off at night, kind of like a heat bank. There's insulation, two ins insulated panels behind it, reduce the heat loss out the, out the side, and above it, reflective uh, like bubble foil to uh, create a little, see, do you see the little plants in the holes up, up top there? It kind of created a little uh, microclimate. Uh, we're just dabbling, experimenting. Sadly, what happened, we put alpaca manure in this greenhouse. The, it was somehow, the tomatoes didn't like it. Um, we had the extension service come out. They thought perhaps maybe there was a, uh, there was herbicide contamination in it from the alpacas. The theory was that they ate the forage that was sprayed with the, with the herbicide, survived the digestive tract of the animal, came out the other side, we put it in our greenhouse, there's herbicide in it. We don't know if that's the case. Ashley did a test, and we, got this, we duplicated the same results at 12% of the compost. Um, now, if, that's, if it was too rich, I'm not sure. They say alpaca manure is pretty rich. But uh, we really struggled with that. It was, uh, we had to end up tearing most of those plants out. Uh, we never did find the cause of that. I'd be curious to see if anyone has ever had that experience. Um, when we called the lady about the manure, she's like, I always make sure my hay comes from reputable sources. Uh, it shouldn't have been sprayed with anything. Uh, they tell me it's not. And she obviously doesn't spray any weed killer on her manure pile either so uh, what the deal was I'm not sure another little greenhouse we have this is the this is the poly panels uh, this one we grow wheatgrass and microgreens in this is our most efficient greenhouse it's in the ground um, it's got its name the sun greenhouse there's a concrete wall on the on the right side there, that absorbs the heat from the daytime, gives it off at night. Uh, we love this greenhouse. It takes very little heat, even in the coldest months. And um, it's a blessing to have Ignacio. When he got there, this was just a, a, a hole in the ground. And he made all, everything and got it going. And well, It's a nice little greenhouse. If we wanted to make it more efficient, we could put the water barrels uh, underneath, uh, underneath those beds there also especially the bed on the right. There's a heat storage in the summer. In our big greenhouse, we, we have the tomatoes and the peppers. Uh, you can see wood chips there. We tried wood chip uh, mulch. And in years past, we used black plastic mulch. Well, if you know black plastic, it, it kind of heats up the ground and makes it like a, like a brick. Uh, it, it, it kills the soil life underneath it. And uh, it's just not conducive 
to good growing. We tried the mulch um, with no apparent uh, reason not to do it again. It worked very well. Um, these are these two rows are peppers. The one on the right is uh, is uh, a, is a cucumber that uh, sets fruit without pollination. I forget what they call it. Um, by the way, let me talk a little bit about the the, the vegetables that we grow, the seeds. Um, we grow mostly heirloom, but then there's some in some cases we'll we'll choose a hybrid seed. I don't know why. It's just what we've done, what Ignacio did. Um, I'm not opposed to, to hybrids, but uh, but I don't know that much either. I could claim ignorance. Um, if the spirit of prophecy advocates planting heirlooms, uh, then I'm all for it. But since we had the seed, uh, we planted it. Uh, the peppers, there's a mix of heirloom and hybrid in there. The tomatoes are all all heirloom except for some of the reds, which were hybrid, like beefsteak and stuff. Uh, we started saving seeds from our heirlooms this year. Uh, this is another greenhouse. We're growing in pots. This is how it was set up. Uh, it's a little bit different style. Uh, it's almost like hydroponics grown in the dirt um, because the the plants are actually very dependent on, on, on continual uh, fertilization because they're so, they're so limited in the three-gallon pots. And you can see these tomatoes grew up quite high. I think uh, we still have brandywine growing in here. Probably, they're probably eight feet high and they look like bad hair day. Uh, it, so we would run organic fertilizer through them. I like growing in the ground. I don't think this is a, it's a natural uh, way to do things, but that's what um, the Lord gave us to work with. So that's what we use for now. Our starter greenhouse, this one is uh, well, it's probably 30 feet long by 15 feet wide. All the, all the plants go through here. Um, I can't even begin to estimate how many plants we started for the greenhouses and for the field. Uh, it's nice to have. We've got the big basin there the, where, the, where the potting soil mix goes in. There's Ignacio work in there, it looks like. And then they, they go to the hardening boxes outside, and they spend about a week in there. There's lettuce ready to go. Spend about a week in the hardening box, and then they're ready for their real deal. Uh, works good for Eden Valley. That's what we've been doing. Uh, in our fields, um, like I say, most of it's grown out in the open. We do some black plastic mulch. Uh, in times past, Eden Valley used to juice a lot for the Lifestyle Center. They, they had a juice of lettuce, carrots, kale, lemon, and some ginger. It was our pleasure to grow for them. Then a new doctor came in. He decided not to juice. Um, so then we, we found alternative sources for uh, markets for our kale. But you can see there we grow quite a lot of kale. It's all in the black plastic. And we choose to put the kale there because uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be there all year. It's um, a continual harvest crop. So, um, Whereas the broccoli, the cabbages, they, didn't la they, they were grown in the open ground. Most of our fields are irrigated with drip. Irrigation, all those beds are. Uh, 
the beds right across the, the way there. We put on sprinkler. Those are squash. Uh, most of our stuff is in drip, but where it's conducive, we'll sprinkle also. Um, no rhyme or reason. It's just set up that way. I like drip. I think it's nice. But they, we just had sprinkler pipe, so we decided to use it. Uh, it does create more weeds. Drip is nice because it, 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 you put the water where, you, where it needs to be. Here we're, we did a, an experiment with onions. We grew four beds of onions under plastic. And we grew probably twice that in open just to see if the plastic is worth it. Um, I was of the opinion that the black plastic uh, actually was conducive to onion growing. In this case, it heated up the ground enough to get a jump start on the onions. The sweet onions that came off these were just big and beautiful. Um, and it's not something we'll wholeheartedly discard, but but maybe we'll do it again. Um, but the onions growing out in the open were almost as nice too. So. We have, the you can see the holes there. We uh, invented a, a little hole poker at Eden Valley. It's, I suppose it's like six feet long, six feet long, and, and the, the, the craftsman put stakes every eight inches, and it's got a handle on it, like, like little wood dowels sharpened, and he was able to uh, make it so that we could just go along and poke the holes, and then they came and uh, planted onions in it. So it worked good. Uh, some of you don't know what a mulch layer is. That's it. It's kind of a neat contraption. Our raised beds. Um, this is real good soil. We grew a lot of head lettuce in it, uh, garlic. Uh, they're pretty versatile. You can We can put the shade cloth if it's too hot. We can put plastic on it if it's too cold. Uh, it's nice to work in, nice to weed. You can have your lifestyle guests come out, and they can... Uh, they can sit right there and pick weeds at their leisure. It's a nice way to do things. Ignacio, when he got to the Dominican Republic, put these in right away. It's just how he likes to grow uh, in beds, raised beds. The only, the only downside, well, one of the downsides is that they dry out pretty quickly. Sticking up in the Colorado air is dry and hot. That soil is above the soil, above the soil level. It gets hot. So they need quite a lot of water, especially if they're not mulched. There's another look there. This was back when the Sun Greenhouse was under construction. You can see it's all open in there. These pictures are from a year or two ago, I suppose. Maybe longer than that. If you guys have any questions, just uh, raise your hand. And talk. Hey. I, I think what Ignacio was doing there was protecting it from the sun. Yeah. I don't think so. I think if you wanted to remove it, I think you have to take the hoops out of the, the PVC because uh, uh, they're, just, they're just flexible conduit stuck into the bigger PVC anchors. We didn't use that last year. Uh, I think it's just standard pine. How many years do you have that? That's a good question. Uh, pressure treated. Well, our environment's probably a lot drier. And, although these, these, these boxes now need 
they need some attention because they are rotting a little bit. Not pressure treated, yeah. And I was watching a Bob Jorgensen video, early Bob Jorgensen, and he was, he was treating his boards with nothing other than drain oil. Have you heard that? Yeah. And he says that, that that works good, and also the carbon also stimulates soil ecology. The hay fields. Um, in years past, Eden Valley didn't make much hay. Um, this year, uh, there was a lot of hay. Ignacio, before he left, he helped me get the hay fields up and going. We seeded, uh, and we had so much hay to juggle with all the vegetables, too. And the hay fields are kind of spread out. There's parcels around Eden Valley. Each of them has a side roll. And if you spend any time in the hay fields advancing side rolls, it's a lot of work. Um, and when you're doing that, you're not working on weeding or, or vegetable garden care. And so the hay fields sort of got put on the back burner, got a little neglected. Um, by the way, I'll throw out, if any, if any of you are interested in working at Eden Valley, we could use you. <laughs> I think just about every presenter here could, yeah. Okay, okay, guys. Um, the wet spring helped the grass to grow. We made a lot of hay, um, probably around 2,000 bales. Uh, we didn't have much time or staff. Uh, Kenneth and his family, they came and stayed with us at Eden Valley. They were a blessing. They helped with quite a lot of hay. And um, we now have it all under roof. And we've been selling out, trickling it out. Uh, our hope was to make deliveries all through the winter. Um, here's Ashley and friends at the farmer's market. They set up in Estes Park every Thursday. Um, this was later in the year when they had the onions and everything. They did very well. Um, not only financially wise, but also uh, making friends and being a presence there. Uh, answering questions, what is Eden Valley? Uh, Ashley's going to speak a little bit about her experiences there in ministry opportunities at the market, if you will, Ashley, uh, toward the end here. Okay, got to wrap it up. Okay. Um, the other market we did was on uh, Loveland on uh, Sunday. Uh, other outlets, we, we sold to a guy, Todd. He's a reseller in Denver. He makes kale chips and dried tomatoes, and he bought some of our produce also. He's a faithful uh, customer in Sunrise, the neighbors, um, and on campus, the country store, the lifestyle, the school. And we also had a couple petitions for donations, which we happily do donated to in the community. Um, again, Sunrise came over and planted with us. Our workers, uh, we couldn't have done it without them. For, for workers, we had about two full-time all year, plus myself, eight who worked part of the year, ten who came for a week or a month, uh, anywhere in between. Um, a lot of people who just came and worked for a few days. Uh, sometimes staff would all get together and work. Uh, and so it was definitely a community effort here. Uh, very difficult uh, for me as someone who's not used to calling the shots, I'd rather be told what to do and go do it. Uh, I grew up on a farm, worked by myself. Uh, so the leadership aspect was very challenging, but I feel that God put me there to grow. You know, he guides all things. Uh, I've grown so much at Eden Valley. Um, 
but if uh, like uh, Darren could probably agree that uh, that's the most challenging part of the of of the experience, but also the most rewarding uh, is 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 um, finding the right job for the right person uh, when they want to work. They want to be helpful. A lot of a lot of mothers will say, "Hey." Uh, we got a few hours. I want my kids in the field. What do you want us to do? And isn't that how it should be? But sometimes, oh, uh, well, let me think about that, you know. I should have something lined up, ready to go for them. Wrap it up. Okay. Well, thank you all very much for your attention. Um, it's a blessing to be here for Eden Valley. Uh, thank you, Darren. Uh Look forward to hearing more of the presenters. Um, you can find me with questions later if anyone has questions. I'm anxious to all hear of your experiences also. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Very impressive what you've got going there and, and the Lord is blessing, obviously. Well, Armando from Heartland Institute is going to present next and um, have also heard from other sources of a, a very good farm operation going on there and so thank you, Armando, for sharing. Right. Well, um, it's a blessing to be here. Um, I work there at Heartland. I've been there three years. Michael Tyler is also here from Heartland. Um, he's new. He came on board this year to help us out. Um, definitely finding people is a hard thing to, to help in this, in this line of work. But let me just start off just sharing with you a little bit about Heartland. Heartland was established in 1983 as a comprehensive training center for Adventist young people with a vision for missionary work. Through a unique combination of education and health ministries, our aim was to provide practical training along with a solid biblical foundation in, in a positive country environment conducive to spiritual growth. Now Heartland Institute trains, continues to train young people from all over the world to spread the three angels' messages. It's interesting. Um, I've been there a little bit over three years now, but almost half or sometimes even more than half of the students are actually from different parts of the world, which is very enriching in, in culture, and, um, but it also, um, it also deepens in me the the responsibility and the opportunity that we have because, because so many different young people come from all different parts of the world, you know, whatever the training that they receive there, that's what they're going to take to their countries. And so this is still our, our burden with a renewed emphasis on supporting the worldwide mission and ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Here is a big group of the young people. We were planting potatoes in the spring. Um, one of the things that was started this year, um, well, for we're already a year, we, ha we have a new college dean. He's been there about a year, but he uh, instituted a, a new plan to help get the staff members and more of the students involved in the, in the farm. And so we have uh, what we call campus work day. So on Wednesdays afternoons, classes there at Heartland are in the mornings. And in the afternoon, the, all the students are in their different workstations. But many, um, not all the workstations are outside. And so 
Um, on Wednesdays, we have campus work day, and we try to get staff members and students from different departments, uh, those who are in office work, who are in the business office, or in uh, the publications office, last generation, and then we get them all outside um, to be together and do some work, especially things like you know, planting potatoes, harvesting potatoes, things where you need a lot of people, and we enjoy that very much. Um, our commitment to following the educational blueprint found in the Spirit of Prophecy has led us to connect a farm to the school. Those of you who have studied the Spirit of Prophecy know the emphasis that she puts on it. Um, education does not consist in using the brain alone. Physical employment is a part of the training essential for every youth. An important phase of education is lacking if the student is not taught how to engage in useful labor. And this, you know, when I, uh, as others have presented, a lot of us don't even come from a background of agriculture, and that's the same for myself. But um, I, was, I, was at, I was studying at Southern Adventist University, and, and I started reading the Spirit of Prophecy. I picked up the book, Education, and as I started reading the importance and the benefits of this, this neglected area of education or that's, you know, it has somehow not been tied into our education, it really started inspiring me a desire to, to experience that. And, um, and after having that experience, you know, that's definitely been one of my burdens to help others uh, enjoy this essential part of education. And not only for the students is it necessary, but our teachers. Our teachers should not think that their work ends with giving instruction from books. So this goes both ways. It's not just the students, but the teachers also. Several hours each day should be devoted to working with the students in some line of manual training. In no case should this be neglected. Now let me tell you, this has been, this is challenging to actually make it happen. This is challenging. Um, the Lord has blessed me with the opportunity to, to actually, I, I have this privilege of, of doing both of these things. I teach there in the college uh, some of the Bible classes, and I also have the opportunity to be there working with them on the farm. And so I, I can experience this for myself, but I know that others don't have that. And, it's, and even though this is the goal that we're working towards there at Heartland, it has definitely been, been a challenge. Um, everybody finds themselves so burdened with their area of work that it's hard for them to say, you know, I'm going to come out and, and help on the farm. The usefulness learned on the school farm is the, very, is the very education that is most essential for those who go out as missionaries to foreign fields. If this training is given with the glory of God in view, great results will be seen. No work will be more effectual than that, that done by those who, having obtained an education in practical life, go forth to the mission fields with the message of truth prepared to instruct as they have been instructed. So again, this ties in. This is not just education. This is not just farming. This is our mission, you know, our mission to take the three angels' message to the world. You know, this part of education ties in very, 
uh, very deeply in, in God knows why. God knows why. And if we do this, as she says, great results will be seen. The knowledge they have obtained in tilling the, of the soil and other lines of manual work and which they carry with them to their fields of labor will make them a blessing even in heathen lands. You know, I'll just share something uh, interesting. How, how many of you have uh, heard of Booker T. Washington? Okay, pick up his autobiography and read it. It's interesting because he actually uh, received his training he received it in a school that actually brought in this concept of practical training along with the intellectual, the academic part. And then he went off and he started his own school. It was called Tuskegee Institute. And in this school, he implemented the same, the same thing. And one of the things that he mentions is, and of course, you know, he was, he was black and he was working in the South. And he said, one, he, he realized one important thing, that the students who learn to do things and they learn to do it well, that helped break uh, prejudice and break barriers that, that the white people had against the black because they learned to do something that people wanted done, right? And that, you know, that built trust. And I just thought that was very interesting. And this is and the same thing, you can apply it to the mission field and with our young people going into new areas where they have to come in contact with people, you know, with people. And this is one of the ways that um, God has shown us that we can get in contact with the people. The cultivation of the land will bring a special blessing to the workers. We should tr so train the youth that they will love to engage in the cultivation of the soil. Now here on the picture, this is student there that we had. He just, uh, he graduated not too long ago. His name is Mark Lee. He's from China. And he's actually, right now, he's, he's serving there. He's an ordained pastor there in China. But it's interesting because he was telling me, uh, he grew up in a farm. His parents, uh, he was, they were very poor. And he said when he was young, he hated the farm. He hated farm work because he associated it with uh, being poor and not having you know, not having everything that they, that they needed and just struggling. And uh, so he said he, he hated it. He didn't like it. And he was very smart. And over there in China, you know, they have the young people take tests. And if you do really good, then you are sent to college. And so he scored really high on some of his tests. So they, um, they put him in school to study to uh, economics. And he did that. And, um, but he, you know, he didn't like that. And later the Lord uh, called him into, uh, into ministry and into the missionary work. And so he started going in that, in those lines, but then he comes to Heartland and he, he comes there to train and to study. And um, his workstation was the farm. And so he arrived there at the farm and it's, it's tremendous. The, you know, the change, I mean, from when he came I'll tell you, he was the worst worker I had there on the farm, and he was, um, it, it's a challenge working with the young people, especially when they, if they don't want to be there and they don't see that as something, you know, as a blessing or as a privilege, um, 
you know, just the things that they do, they'll make mistakes, they'll pull things out that weren't supposed to be pulled and, and all kinds of things. But it's interesting, it's, it's so inspiring just to see when they start changing, you know, and the energy and the time that you take to train and educate them. And then they start uh, having a love for what they do and they start loving to work in the soil. And um, he didn't, he didn't want, you know, he didn't want to leave the farm. And the whole, his whole three years that he spent there as a student, he, he, he stayed there on the farm. And at the end, he became very, very efficient in, in you know, in, in planting and uh, weeding. I mean, he was my best weeder. He would just go in there and just, and uh, selling, even though he had a, uh, broken English, I don't know how, but he was able to just connect when people would just come, come and stop by to buy things. He, he would sell them. They would leave with a whole bunch of bags. And, you know, and it's interesting. And then he told me, you know, he went back to China and he started sharing about true education and, and farming and just trying to inspire um, the people to see the blessings in that. And so... You know, like it says here, and one of the things that he shared with me also, he was having a lot of health challenges because after, you know, school, he had dedicated all his time to study, 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 study. And he said as the time he spent on the farm, you know, it was just like it was a treatment for him and just a blessing for his health. And um, so there are untold blessings in this work. So these are three of the primary goals that we have there at, at Heartland, the, the farm. Provide nutritious food for our own consumption, train young people in agriculture and work ethics, and to function as a viable business. Now, later I'll talk about these, um, these goals and the challenges that we have because sometimes, especially the, la the bottom two, training and trying to function as a business sometimes really... Uh, it's a challenge. But again, we do this because God has shown us that this is important, and it has its place in education. From his very creation, man was placed in a garden and given the responsibility of working the land and keeping it. This was the occupation of he who was created a little lower than the angels, of he who was the crowning act of God's, all of God's creation. The first man was given the dominion of all the earth. He was its rightful ruler. And this is, this is the part I want to highlight. He found what? Dignity and what else? Nobility. Found dignity and nobility in working the land. Not only this, but he experienced the development of physical, mental, and moral powers of his being. You know, this, this is why God has, you know, God gave this to him before sin and even after sin, these, there is still dignity, there is still nobility, there is still development of the physical, mental, and moral powers of man when he comes in contact with the earth. And I think this is one of, this is, um, this is key, especially in an institutional setting, to, to bring this, to, to ingrain it into the minds of the students because most of the students they have, a lot of them, especially if they come from the cities, they have a stigma. There's a stigma against, you know, labor and, and anything like that. Um, I'll share with you, a, this is from uh, Booker T. Washington's experience. It's interesting. 
that he shares how um, a lot of the students that started coming to his school, he implemented the same, um, this plan of manual training in his school. And look what he says here. This is from his autobiography. The more we talked with the students who were then coming to us from several parts of the state, the more we found that the chief ambition among a large portion, proportion of them was to get an education so that they would not have to do what? <laughs> Work any longer with their hands. And let me tell you, even when I was young, when I was younger, um, I, I received that from people, you know, go to school, get good grades, you know, get a good job. You know, if not, you're going to have to be, you know, shoveling dirt, you know, you're going to have to be doing some type of work with your hands. And so education was seen as a way of escaping work. And so he had to deal with this challenge, too. And you can understand, and for them, it was even, um, I can understand it more with them because it was associated also with slavery, you know, what they, were com they had come out of. But he shares the following, and, and this is key because it was with his own example, through his own example, he was able to show that there was dignity in it. And that's part of our job, especially those who work in an institutional setting, to show the students that there is dignity, there is nobility in working the land. But it can't just be from, we can't just preach it to them. You actually have to go out, lead it, model it for them. It was hard for them to see the connection between clearing land and an education. Besides, many of them had been school teachers and they questioned whether or not clearing land would be in keeping with their dignity. In order to relieve them from any embarrassment, each afternoon after school, I took my axe and led the way to the woods. When they saw that I was not afraid or ashamed to work, they began to assist with more enthusiasm. So in educating and training young people, one key factor is you have to bring to their minds the dignity and nobility that there is in work, working with their hands, working the soils, and then you need to model it. You need to be the first to go out there. We, believed even now, we believe even now in our day under the changed conditions of the earth through the curse of sin, though attended with anxiety, weariness, and pain, the work of cultivating the land is still a great source of development and happiness. It wasn't just for Adam and Eden, it still applies for us today. This work promotes industry, purity, firmness, cultivates the character of man. One of the founding fathers of, our, of America wrote the following words, Agriculture is our wisest pursuit because it will in the end contribute most to real wealth, good morals, and happiness. That was Thomas Jefferson. And here's another um, interesting fact about George Washington, who's uh, possibly the most revered man uh, by many in this country. And you know what he said about farming? I'd, I had rather be on my farm than be the emperor of the world. He found joy. He found happiness. There was, you know, it was, he found dignity in working the land. So here's a uh, picture of Heartland Farm. Um, here we have uh, two, this is fenced in, about two acres there, and then this is where we have um, 
Most of, we have two heated greenhouses, the two big ones, and the rest are all uh, cold frames. And um, this area here is where we have uh, the majority of our production comes from this area. Now, as I shared with you, I've been there um, pot, I've been there a little bit over three years, but most of the, this is the most productive area land that we have there in Heartland because it's been worked for a number of years. Um, those who have come before, you know, I'm just reaping on the benefits of those who really put in hard work to build this land up. Um, one of those men is here with us, Brother Bob Gregory. He was there, I think, for five years or over Nine? Nine years. Um, when I came in, uh, Brother Esteban Cabrera was there. Um, I learned most of what I've done there. I've learned with him. Again, farming is not my, was not my trade. You know, I didn't go to school for it. It was just something that I had a burden for it because of what I was reading in the councils. And so I wanted to learn. And the um, Lord blessed me definitely with a good teacher. Uh, Brother Cabrera, Bob, Brother Bob Gregory worked with him for some time, and um, he's an old man. He's, I think right now, 78. He just retired about uh, two years ago. And um, it's interesting, you know, he, he would work harder than any of the young, any of the students there. I mean, the man is fit. The man is fit. And I remember uh, that the student that I talked about earlier, Mark Lee, um, he would tell me something. And I, I don't want to make comparisons. I don't want to mention the other person's name. But he, he would say, I'm going to work. I'm going to, you know, and, and like I said, he's an ordained pastor. So he's in ministry. But he has decided that he's going to bring farming, you know, into his experience for the rest of his life. And he would say, because, you know, he would, he would compare Brother Cabrera to some other people there at Heartland that have not, you know, uh, brought manual labor in as a part of their experience. And he said, look, they're, they're both around the same age. And he said, when I get old, I want to be like Brother Cabrera, not, not like so-and-so. I want to be fit, I want to be healthy, and I want to be able to keep serving the Lord and blessing. And that's why God has given us this counsel. You know, it's not to burden us in any way. It's all blessing is to benefit us. So um, the manpower behind this op operation, a fluctuating number of students. It can, we can go down to four or five, and it can jump to 15 or even sometimes higher than 15. But the key word there is fluctuating. So this is definitely one of our, uh, of our challenges, that it, it kind of goes up and down. Um, I'm there full-time. Brother Michael Tyler is there full-time, and we have another um, part-time staff member. And we've shifted here and there. Another person who was uh, key in helping us there on the farm um, Kevin Wagner, also a young man uh, around my same age. N farming wasn't his thing, but because of the need, he started getting into it. Because of other needs in the institution, he's shifted to other um, areas, helping in um, maintenance. And um, But sometimes uh, I think we're trying to shift things around again so he can 
be back on the farm and, and helping us there. But, um, but the Lord blesses, and um, we do what we can with uh, those who are there. And the Lord, that's, the Lord wants us to do the best with what he has, right? He's not going to hold us accountable for what we didn't have, you know, because we didn't have this and this and this. No, he's just going to hold us accountable for what we did have and what we did. So the, here are some of the things that we grow there on the farm. Kale, spinach, lettuce, Swiss chard, baby greens, arugula, cabbage, green onions, bulbul onions, pak choy, garlic, beets leeks, radishes, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, potatoes, sweet potatoes, winter squash, summer squash, green beans, okra, asparagus, watermelon, blueberries, cucumbers. Um, not all at the same time. In the spring and fall and winter, we have more of these of the greens. And um, the greens are definitely more where, uh, I would say the baby greens and the baby arugula, that, those are like our cash crops there. That's what brings us in the most... Um, money to the uh, to the farm and um, all this is a blessing because then we can use it there at the institution um, we sell to some different wholesale buyers local food hub and yoga natural foods harvest market fredericksburg csa we want to start moving uh, testing more of the farmers markets um, but it's been a the lack of staff and personnel has, you know, it's been a challenge to get out there when you have so much to do right there on the farm. Um, so like I said, some of our challenges is just training young people. They only, you train them and they only stay for a short time. You know, some of them, you'll start building them up. You have them there for a year and after a year, boom, they get shifted to another uh, area. And so you have to start the process all over again. And then you have the, the challenge that some of them come and they've, you know, they, they just, their brain is wired different. And, but, you know, that's why we're there, to train them, help them, educate them in that area. But it is a challenge when it comes to being productive and being efficient in our work. And um, like I said, training young people and functioning as a viable industry, it's a challenge. Um, you know, there's classes in the morning, so we don't have many students in the morning. And so... Then in the afternoon, you have maybe 10, 15, and it's hard to keep track of, of, of everyone. If it's just two people for 15 students that you have to train, um, you know, that becomes a full-time job, just training, and it, and it hinders being productive and functioning as a business. Most of the students leave at the end of spring, so at the end of May, school finishes, and it's like, then you come into the summer or the late you're, you're in late spring and you still have all these things that you planted that you need to harvest and you need to weed you know now um, you have longer day daylight and so weeds are growing faster and then we always find ourselves kind of overwhelmed when we get into that period so that's a big challenge is dealing with uh, fluctuating students uh, we've proposed to change the school model so that um, the break is not summer break, but winter break, and that way, you know, it's not a problem for us, and we can have them during the summer and be more productive, but there's a whole lot of challenges with that. But um, so we just have to work with it, and the Lord blesses us doing what we can. Um, so 
I'll just end with this, this quote here. We must not be narrow in our plans. In industrial training, there are unseen advantages which we cannot measure or estimate. So there are things that we can't see and we can't even estimate them. They're there. They're unseen advantages. Let no one begrudge the effort necessary to carry forward successfully the plan that for years has been urged upon us as of primary importance. There will be apparent drawbacks in the work, and this is very encouraging to me, but this should not discourage us. The account books may show that the school has suffered some financial loss in carrying on industrial work. I'll tell you that that has been the case there at Heartland. But if in these lines of work, the students have learned lessons that will strengthen their character building, the books of heaven will show a gain far exceeding the financial loss. Is that a blessing? Far exceeding the financial, the financial loss. So should we, in, should we get into this work? Should we carry it forward? Yes, even if there are financial losses because there are other unseen advantages to it. And, and, you know, in the long run, you know, souls is what counts, right? And so if this work helps to strengthen their character building, the books of heaven will show a gain far exceeding the financial loss. How many souls this work has helped to save will never be known till the day of judgment. Tremendous. No one ever looks at uh, practical training, farm training as saving souls, right? It's just we don't think that way. But the council is there. This is what the Lord has shown us. And so we should move forward in this direction. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.